Welcome to the Almost 30 Podcast. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Krista. And we're your hosts, guides, and friends on this path. Almost 30 is not about your age. It's about the feeling. All of us are almost something, seeking community and resources to support the rumblings of transformation within us. Our conversations are deep dives, shepherded by our insatiable curiosity and desire for connection, enduring inspiration, and a sense of levity that we can all benefit from. We're looking to find the magic in the human experience. Buckle up, baby. Your evolution is waiting. Hello and welcome to Almost 30. Hi everybody, it's Lindsay and Krista. So happy you're here. Thank you for choosing this podcast. We know there's a bunch, but it's no accident you're here. I'm excited for you to discover why that is. We're your podcast besties. Podcast besties, baby. Podcast big sisters. We have been in the game for a while now and this is our full-time thing. We have an amazing team and brand that supports people all over the world through transitions. We like to support people in finding out who they are and loving who they are. Mm -hmm. It's been, I feel like, especially through our late 20s, it's like you can't always see the light of loving who you are. (laughs) There always seems to be like something you're trying to fix or heal or change. And if you are in your 20s, we will say now in our Early, um, early 30s. Now in our 20s. <laughs> that it really does get better. It really does get better. And so these conversations hopefully serve as reminders and also a foundation for you to really make this your own. I felt in my 20s that I had to do what everyone else was doing or like pick some parts of people's templates and be like, okay, I'll follow that. I'll follow that. But it's been really fun to like finally trust myself in my 30s. Yeah, especially on social media. You see so many templates. You see so many different people doing different things. That girl routine is so popular. You know, people are like, I'm that girl. It's Mm -hmm. like that girl's like basically everyone doing the same exact thing. And I don't know if it's serving all of us to do all the same thing, but whatever. Who knows? (laughs) Do whatever you want. (laughs) I'm excited about this one. I love Nedra. We had so much fun talking. We were laughing our butts off before and after she's truly hilarious i love her she's so cool and her book is drama free so we got to talk a lot about unhealthy family relationships which is something that we've been exploring across the last couple years is topics that you discuss in therapy such as unhealthy family dynamics and it was great to dig in with her about understanding the family their impact on you And then really supporting yourself in the healing and freedom of having less, I don't know, less expectations. Yeah, less of a desire for your family to be anything other than what it is. Yes. Yeah, I felt like I spent so much time wanting to either fix certain dynamics in the family, like be the fixer, or I would spend a lot of my energy harping on what maybe was a little bit dysfunctional or wrong rather than focusing on the go forward, which I think is like difficult when you're like in therapy and they're like, so tell me about your childhood and all of that. So it's hard not to harp, but it was such a important shift for me when I realized that I could reparent myself in a way. I consider myself very lucky. I had amazing parents, but they're not perfect, just like anyone else's parent. And it just put the power back in my own hands in a way that I hadn't felt in a really, really long time. And now because of that, it shifted like my relationship with them and just how I react or don't react. Mm -hmm. 
I'll never forget when I first met you, we were at Misfit. It was like one of the first times I was meeting you as a girl's dinner at Misfit. Do you remember this? Probably not. It would be weird if you did. So we were at Misfit and we you came later because you had something and I was sitting on the edge of a booth with mm-hmm. these girls mm-hmm. and you came in and you were just immediately talking about your family and mm. sort of like what had been going on in your family and the family dynamics. And I remember just like, obviously we were so magnetized to one another, but I remember thinking like, wow, I could give a fuck about my family. <laughs> like, I was just like, wow, this is, it was so fascinating <laughs> to me to be with someone that cared so deeply mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. their family and just wanted a different experience than what they had. Totally. And it's not like I'm saying I loved my experience and I accepted my experience at all, but I was just someone that on the other end was like, burn it all down. Just totally. whatever, dude, whatever. don't care. Do whatever you want. Just mm-hmm. completely apathetic, completely out of touch, completely just had removed myself from the situation. Yeah. But I think that's also the birth order. I'm youngest, you're oldest. The oldest, I just, I laugh Sometimes thinking about oldest because you guys just carry it all. It's actually carry so it sad. All. You guys like think you can change it all and you guys just care so much and youngest are like, what? So much. Ever. Dude, it's true. I do not care. But it, I think the goal is to kind of meet in the middle of yes. those two extremes of yes. like having a little bit of compassion or kind of just a different perspective towards like your parents than maybe you did when you were younger. But then there's also like, a total need for detaching from the intensity of just how it affects you. Yeah. And it's funny, like to think about the cycle of it all, obviously spent most of my childhood caring so much. I took it all on. I was so mentally unwell and then rebel phase happens and it's don't care at all. I'm done caring. And it's probably protective. Thing. Yeah, through individuation, Truly. protective. I needed to do that. Yeah, and then it's like kind of coming back around where I can look truthfully at things with both more love and more compassion. Yeah. And most of my journey with my family has been exploration of the mother wound and stuff like that. But I've been really working on the father wound lately, which is so interesting because I think we overlook that a lot. Mm. And whether your father was amazing, me and my dad had such a special relationship. You know, whether he's amazing or not, there's always things there. And I realized, and I've said this before, just how little expectations we hold on the father. And I think this is seen across all of culture and society, how high expectations we have for women and what we ask women to do versus what we ask men to do. And just realizing my dad was like home one day a week, got home from work at 10 p.m., like never around. Mm -hmm. And for the time he was around, I was like, you're the best. (laughs) You are perfect. I love you. (laughs) And then the mom, it's like nothing is good enough. Yeah. Nothing that you do. It's sort of heartbreaking. So I'm coming to a place where I'm having to recognize the feelings that brings up and I'm not wanting to because Mm -hmm. it really is that identity that I've had of being a daddy's girl. I don't want to be an adult. Maybe I'm a daddy's girl. (laughs) Seems creepy. But you, yeah, you like have a deep connection. But then also being like, wow, there is something there that needs to be felt or explored that I haven't yet. Mm, yeah. And also how I can imagine how it is juxtaposed with your mom. So mm-hmm. it kind of makes just kind of how you view your mom in comparison yes. to this it makes person. It makes me so much more loving for her mm-hmm. and so much more compassionate. I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, I really see, especially in my separation and my parents divorced, just seeing, I'm like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm understanding the dynamics yeah. of what was going on so much more and In the book, Drama Free, Nedra talks about being a cycle breaker. And I think this is something that we, as a generation and as 
like a human class here on earth are really doing, which is cycle breaking. And I'll never forget when I chose to separate from my partner, I was like, I had to tell someone in my family that was the cause of a lot of the lessons that I had learned in that relationship. So this person was like, I was basically mirroring everything I had seen that this person do. And I remember telling them that I was going to separate. And I'm like, this is like reverberating across generations and lifetimes and eons of my experience here on earth because I'm choosing consciously something different and I'm seeing the pain that I've caused and the pain that I've been in receipt of for lifetimes and I'm saying no more and I'm Mm. no longer going to participate in yeah that scenario that unconscious scenario that was playing out so often in my relationships whether it was with females or whether if it was with males and just choosing differently. I was like, even though the person that I'm talking to has no idea that this is happening consciously, this is what's freaking happening. Yeah. And I think over time, whether they experience it consciously or not, there's going to be a shift in one way or another because of your decision. The point is not for you to see it and to experience it and be like, yay, but It has to. I think you making such a decision that really prioritizes your soul's desire. And I can think of so many times that I've done that kind of in the face of my family and you too. I can imagine there's just a little bit of a shift within them and they might not express it. But I don't know. I think we impact our parents more than we know. Yeah. And they might not have the words to express it. I remember a few times when you've done that as well. And that was huge. Yeah. For me, my family, anything I say or do, they're kind of like, I have no idea what's going on. Right. You know, I, I haven't been in that relationship with them in a long time. But the dynamic that you have and the decisions that you've made that have been like that have been so crunchy and yeah, powerful. It's been mostly about trusting myself yeah. and making the decision that follows that trust yeah. despite the criticism, judgment, or fear coming mm-hmm. from my family or parents. Because mm-hmm. it's hard. I really value my parents' opinions. It was very programmed into me early that that is where I look to before I make any decision. And so to make decisions for myself about really big life things and own it has been the hardest thing, but also has shifted them. I think they needed to be woken up yes, because they were so in that loop of like, we're the parents and also loop of fear and fear of the unknown. And when a parent sees a child happy owning their decisions, confident, not looking back over their shoulder to see if their parents are there approving, they feel a type of inner peace as a parent that I think they're searching for, but they don't know how to get. Yeah, to know that your child has made a choice that you didn't dictate or decide that is just for them is like, oh, wait, the child is no longer my child. The child is no longer my responsibility. And when you are dictating almost every decision, I'm sure psychically you're like a little stressed because you're like, okay, what do I got to tell my kid to do? Mm-hmm. What do I have to like control what they're doing? Yeah. You know, how do I have to be involved in it? Which is huge. I mean, that is super powerful. I wonder if we're thinking about the same situation. I'm thinking about a different one, I think, than what you're thinking of. But I mean, it's been a pattern. So yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. I'm not sharing explicitly because I just, you know. Of course. But it's an example of like 
and I'm sure a lot of people listening right now, just that feeling of just deep disapproval of Mm -hmm. your life. Yeah, of course. And why? Mm -hmm. Because of their fear. Yeah. And it's not based in any truth or reality, Mm -hmm. but it's their fear. But their fear is real. Mm -hmm. So it's like you kind of have to let them have their moment Mm -hmm. and let them have their experience and feeling. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, like this is your life and they will jump on board because they love you. And if they don't, that's completely their loss. And it's a very hard thing if that happens. But Mm -hmm. I kind of had to make that decision. You almost have to make it as if this is what I'm doing no matter what, if you drop on board or not. Yeah. Because if you're kind of half in, I have people that I love that they're half in, half out. And I think the parents can tell and they're like, I'm still in control. That's exactly it. I'm actually still in control. That's what I'm talking about. It's shifting that power dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. It's a power dynamic, baby. Mm -hmm. It truly is. I'm the fucking general. Yes. Girl freaking (laughs) power. Yeah, dude. We had a reading the other day and he said, you're the general. I'm the general and you're the lieutenant. Lieutenant. (laughs) He said, you're the alpha. And I said, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get out of that. I think also I was like standing up straight. So he said I was totally. like freaking general. And you had like this weird military outfit on. So I, I had no 100%. idea what was I had my Dude, I had my military cap on. Just whatever, dude. Also, it was fun. Me and Nedra were laughing just about how in the family dynamic there's gossiping. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. The gossip is just my family enjoys a good round of gossip. Just they said this. What do you think about this? Oh, they said this about this. Mm-hmm. And then like it travels around. And I've had to tell my family in the past years, like, you can say whatever you want about me. I actually don't mind. But don't tell, tell me. me. Yeah. Don't tell me what other people or are don't saying let about it get me. to me. Don't let it get to me. There's been so many situations where they're like, you know, you're father said this about you and I just wanted to let you know I'm like actually I don't need to know it's really great that you guys can have that conversation and say whatever floats your boat about whatever in my life and I actually don't need to know with my separation it took me a long time to tell a lot of people in my life and I wanted to just be in process with it and like when it felt really good so I told my family and I remember telling my family and my mom a little gossip she's a gossip girl she be gossip and I know this. And I was just like, okay, let's let it fly. Let's see what happens. And I think because most people in my life were so in shock that it took her a long time where she didn't say anything. It was like, what is going on? Mm. And then the gossip got out. No, I was like, fuck. Far, far out or just like? Out to, out. Out far enough. Out far enough. And I remember me and my sister, because at first it was like a month probably. We were like, damn, this is dope. Nothing has been shared I'm like, I'm being respected. My desires are being respected. (laughs) What is this? And then it happened. And I was like, oh, my God. And she was like, what was I going to say when blank asked? Was I not going to tell them? Like, what would you want me to say if they asked about you? Make it up. Absolutely make it up. Exactly. Make it up. Lie. Who cares? Mm -hmm. And it's so funny, like, the prioritization of that person, but also, like, the desire to kind of be in constant conversation around drama or conflict or mm-hmm. if I'm not hearing about someone dying on a phone call or someone having surgery, I don't know what I'm even doing on that <laughs> phone call with my family. So that did actually trigger me a little bit. I was like, dang, this one like kind of got me. But also what it showed me in me being triggered by finding out that she had been gossiping was more so about the shame I had around the decision mm-hmm. of like, oh, wow, I forgot that when I choose this decision to separate that people are going to have feelings and thoughts about me 
and I can't control that and I can't tell them why and I can't make them understand. And I was like, okay, this is showing me more of like the shame I have around people knowing. And if I'm more comfortable or in my power about the decision, just more confident with myself, then I don't really care who knows. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of shows people how to, they're going to do what they're going to do. But people who I feel like have more of like a, just that authority and consciousness will look at you and be like, that seems like an incredible decision for her. Totally. You know, not even bad an mm-hmm. eye and be like, amazing. And most people have thought that. I've had really good feedback. And again, I'm so clear on my decision. I don't really care what any of the feedback is. But for some reason, this one was just, I don't know why it was embarrassing. I was just like, because I don't know what there's, I don't know what's being exactly. said. I, I think that's it. That's the control. So just family gossip in general. I wonder what that like perpetuates or yeah. what what pattern or feeling or connection that I think it's connection yes that it perpetuates mm-hmm. either there's nothing else to say or there's actually not an awareness that you could actually ask another person yeah. a thoughtful question and have a conversation about them or something quite thought-provoking rather than recycling kind of this goss yeah and it's Mostly it's people don't have anything going on in their lives at all. So they're talking about other people's lives. Yeah. Like when I've had more going on in my life, I really have no interest in talking about other people. And mm-hmm. and that's just really plain and seems really like curt, but it's the truth. If you have a full life of full relationships and full things and you are on purpose, you don't really have time or care about other people's like drama or other people's mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. But I think this is a really important point. Gossip is really the affirmation of how we act in this group. So in this group of people, our family unit, this is how we are. So when I'm gossiping, you are doing something that is outside of what I've determined our family unit does. So in my situation, getting separated or divorced or whatever is not what we do. It's not we're Catholic, we grew up in Midwest, Mm. you know, where these things. So it's like, this is where the discrepancy is, is that there is gossip because someone is doing something outside of it. Because if I was just married, whatever, unhappy or happy, it's like this is the norm and this is sort of how we operate. So oftentimes if someone's like choosing themselves in whatever situation, we're going to be gossiping about it because it's not what we normally do within our family. Mm -hmm. And we want to affirm to one another through the gossiping that like, you're not going to step outside the bounds. Right. I'm not going to step outside the bounds because we find safety and security in staying the same as a family. Yeah. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. It's a very sneaky, unconscious manipulation that's happening. And it really stunts the growth of a family. It's just very... You can feel it when you're in it. When you, whenever you're gossiping and we've all done it, it just is very low vibration. And I think it's just keeping us at a real surface level. We're not going deeper as a family unit. We're not getting to know each other. I think about that all the time that, and I want to be better at this too, but just getting to know my family now as adults where they are in their life, asking them thoughtful questions. And even if they feel uncomfortable being asked the question, that's okay. Like I think just that interest and that genuine curiosity goes a long way and kind of shakes up that like weird pattern that they have of just like, how you doing? What's going on? 
All things good? Okay, cool. Unconscious to conscious. Mm -hmm. Coming everything with presence and curiosity and love. I've tried that and sometimes it's tiring. It's so tiring. I'll try and I'm like, I like come in with like great expectations. I'm like, I'm going to use this as a Petri dish for my growth. And I'm going to be asking you, what were you like when you were 12? Mm-hmm. And then I'll do it. And I'm like, fucking, this is so tired. I'm like, God damn it. Or I'll do it and it's like, huh? And then nothing back. And I'm like, damn it, I tried. Yep, we tried. <laughs> but you just got to keep getting on the horse and freaking trying. That's true. This is going to be such a great conversation that you guys are going to enjoy. This is from Nedra Glover Tawab. She wrote the book, Set Boundaries and Find Peace. We talked about that on a previous show. So you can search mm-hmm. Nedra Almost 30 to listen to that episode, which is so much fun. And again, the book is drama free. Amazing. And if you love this episode, share it with a friend. Maybe share it with a family member. Mm -hmm. Could be good. And if you're not subscribed to Almost 30, please subscribe and subscribe to our newest podcast, Morning Microdose. This is where we share clips from Almost 30 throughout the years, and they are the best of the best. They are inspiring, funny, thought-provoking, and our intention is really to help you start your day. This is a tone setter. This is going to put you into a vibe that I think will carry you throughout the day rather than scrolling your phone or emails first thing in the morning. Yeah, we love you guys. We'll see you on TikTok, Almost 30 Podcast, on Instagram, Almost 30 Podcast, our website, almost30.com. As more information about our partners, Lindsay and I, it has blog posts where you can get free resources and content. And we appreciate you being a part of our community. Enjoy. Enjoy. Okay, I need to introduce you to a revolutionary new app, um, Superhuman. I have been doing these superhuman activations every single morning for the last three weeks. Let me just tell you, I kind of fell off of my game after I had the baby. Most of my time and energy was going to him, still is, but I have been able to carve out time in the morning before I get into the swing with him. And I've been doing these activations. I do a lot of the shorter ones because I don't have a ton of time. But let me just say, this is new. Like, this is a new type of audio that um, are super energizing and really specifically designed to transform you into your future self. So I know a lot of us want to manifest things. I know a lot of us are thinking about planning for the future, um, but a lot of us feel stuck. And so I've just felt like this has unstuck me in just the most beautiful way. So I've been doing a lot of their pep talks. I've been doing some of their writing activations. Uh, This morning I did the three morning questions. It was a seven minute, really vibey writing activation that I love. So I had my journal out. Um, Yesterday I did a pep talk uh, about tackling procrastination. There's a part of me that procrastinates quite a bit. So I'm just I love this. I love this. There's going to be an activation for you for this moment, for this day. Uh, It's incredibly supportive. So we actually interviewed Mimi Bouchard, the founder, not too long ago. Check out that interview. Uh, And we have a sample of one of the activations on our feed. So you can check that out as well. It's way easier to implement into your routine and far more effective than any other audio app out there. I've just noticed that I'm doing it much more consistently. So please don't miss out on this crazy deal. They rarely do discounts. On top of the 14-day free trial, get over 
60% off your subscription for a limited time only at activation.com slash almost 30. Literally, there is no risk. If you change your mind and forget to cancel after the trial, you're covered by their money back guarantee. The offer is only available through their website, not on the app store. So that's activations.com slash almost 30 for 60% off. It expires soon. I am juggling quite a bit lately. I have a new baby, um, six months in and, uh, we are finishing our book and running a business and a marriage and a house. And, um, it's just a lot, but everything is all good and just my dream, but it's a lot. But I have found that if my health routine is on point, then everything runs smoothly. And one huge piece of that routine is my supplementation. And Symbiotica has just always been a constant in my routine. Uh, If you haven't heard of Symbiotica, they're a health and wellness company that does everything with intention. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Like I know them. (laughs) Shervine has been on the podcast many times. I just have seen how passionate, how incredibly intelligent, how dedicated he is to creating products um, that are clean, plant-based, without toxic or harmful chemicals, which we need more of that in the world. Um, So let me just run you through what I'm taking. Um, I take the vitamin D3 K2. It's the liposomal form. I just squirt 12 little pumps in my mouth every single morning. I also take their B12. Um, I'm also obsessed with the liposomal vitamin C. I have these little packets whether it's winter or whatever season, it's obviously great for immunity, but it also um, is amazing because it has biotin, one of nature's most beautifying ingredients. Uh, So I've seen an improvement in my skin, hair, and nail growth as well. I do have mom brain, um, but I'm doing my best to just support my brain health in any way. So for brain health, focus and memory, I really love taking their liposomal magnesium L-threonate. It's an innovative form of magnesium that is able to cross the blood brain barrier. It supports brain health, mood, immune system function, and overall well-being. It's incredible and tastes amazing. It's like this yummy vanilla cream flavor. That's the thing with uh, Symbiotica products. They taste amazing unbelievable. So it really makes taking all of these supplements so easy, so yummy. And I actually look forward to it. So if you want to give Symbiotica a try, there is no better time right now is the time. Symbiotica.com, C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A. Use our code almost 30, 20% off site wide. So major. And then when you bundle and subscribe, which I highly recommend because you never want to run out of anything, uh, you're going to get an extra discount. So just do it up. Symbiotica.com and use the code almost 30 for 20% off site wide. I would actually love to talk about, to first set the stage, why did you decide to do this book after Set Boundaries, Find Peace? Like what was the impetus or the inspiration? Because there's a lot of different ways you could go in your work with what you talk about. So why why family relationships? I think family relationships are certainly the longest relationships we have, and it is one of the most impactful relationships we have. It impacts our relationship partners, friends, at work, and so many other things. It's such a big part of who we are. When we talk about relationships in general, we're trying to fix maybe why you're anxious and relationships. And that also goes back to family. Like what were those family relationships like? What were those relationships like with your siblings, with your parent? It informs so much that there needs to be a book about family 
What if you have someone, I've experienced this in my life where I'm pretty aware of the ways in which my family has impacted me and how I operate in a positive way and a negative way. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of work that I've done. I think a lot of the women that are in our community or our generation are very much open to seeing things. But I've kind of noticed that for men, some of the men that I've been around in my life have a harder time admitting that there's any trauma or any issues with their parents or their parent dynamic and don't really want to look at it. Have you had the experience of people that just kind of think, I had a great childhood, and could that be true? Great as defined by them. I was talking to a family member, and I was saying, I have a dysfunctional family. And they said, I have a healthy family. We're in the same family. <laughs> <laughs> so it's based on your perspective, right? I'm like, okay. great when you said dysfunctional, did they say healthy? Yeah, that's I'm hilarious. Like, they were like, I had a great upbringing. I'm like, I'm talking about your people. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> So I think it is based on what my expectations for family are, what I see as abusive and dismissing, not noticing things, minimizing. It's very protective of the relationship. If we want to be in those relationships, sometimes it's better for us to not be aware of what the relationship actually is, to not acknowledge the gaslighting, the abuse, the favoritism in the relationships. It's protective. So I understand why some people would say, now I'm from a great and healthy family, a wonderful place to be. My childhood was perfect. And in that situation, so say you're in relationship with someone and you're going to therapy and they believe I had a great childhood, everything's good, but you're noticing things come up in the relationship. Would you just have to uh, let that person come to their own realization of their childhood? Or what would you suggest people do if you're in a situation where you are looking at your childhood and how it's impacted you, but you might be in a relationship with someone who isn't willing or doesn't see anything wrong? I believe in people coming to their own understanding, maybe with a little support and gentle poke. Sometimes we like to give them the full story. See, you're always thinking about abandonment because your mom wasn't around. It's like, I don't know if that's going to change them. What did you expect? <laughs> it's like, Whoa, that was, you said it all. When, you know, that could be the truth, right? Like you're afraid of getting close to someone because maybe you do have challenges with being a bandit primary figure. However, can we just talk about the issues in our relationship? Because that's the issue. Maybe you can ask, has anybody else abandoned you? How do you think that affected you? We don't need to state what we think because the other person, they've been experiencing it and they don't see it. So it can't be that obvious. And they may not be ready to handle it. And that's why they're unable to see it. So how do we stick to what's happening between the two of them? Which is a good thing to think about as it relates to other things in the relationship too. It's like, mm -hmm. how can you stay present with what is What's the issue at hand? What is going on instead of bringing other things in? But you mentioned something about your childhood and the way that you grew up. And I actually don't know much about your childhood and the dysfunction that you experienced. As much as you're comfortable to share, I would love to hear about some of the experiences that you went through mm. in growing up. I'm a 7 out of 10 on the ACE. And will you explain what that is? Yes, the ACE is an adverse childhood experience test. Now, I would say that you can have an impact even with a two. So on that scale, we're looking at abuse, neglect, a parent having an alcohol issue, feeling unnoticed, feeling as if you didn't 
many adults to talk to, just a variety of things that would impact a person. And I would say most of the thing, if I didn't experience it, I witnessed it. So if I didn't experience, I had another relative who maybe had this experience, somebody in my neighborhood, that sort of thing. So I think there was a lot of adverse things happening and we didn't notice it as that. We didn't notice like having a single parent household or having someone who abused substances in your family. It was almost like roll with the punches. But what we were experiencing was trauma. I think about before we started, we were talking about a kid I used to work with who would say that he was being abused and, you know, the child protective services, they could never find proof of that. But I wonder what was happening in your life that you would those stories. That we have this level of trauma that I don't think we necessarily understand while we're in it because I certainly didn't know what was going on while I was in it. Of course, as I got older, I watched Oprah and Oprah gives you language like sexual abuse, addiction, and emotional neglect. And I'm like, huh, <laughs> is that what that is? But again, I'm a kid, so I didn't know. And when so many people around you are experiencing so many of the same things, it's almost like this must be some sort of norm. But once you get into the world, you're like, this isn't norm. So I had the opportunity to make some choices and to really deal with that stuff. And I think that it's an ongoing process because it does impact your relationships, not just with other people. I think the biggest relationship I've seen is with ourselves. How so? Self-esteem, self-worth, self-sabotage, what we believe is possible for ourselves. I grew up in an environment of, I would say, whatever happened to you, people felt they had to deal with it. There wasn't, I'm in control. I can do this. It was like, uh, this is being done to me. And I had to start seeing, I can choose. I can create something. I can maybe go to college. I can move out of my parents' house. I can decide who I want to have relationships with in my family. I can decide, like, what I say in this situation, I can determine which patterns I want to break and which ones I want to keep. Do you remember, was it watching Oprah where you were like, oh, wow, this is, this was trauma? Or what were some of the experiences that helped you to realize that what you had been through was dysfunctional and was harmful? I think just going through it, watching Oprah and meeting other people, it certainly validated it. But you know, when something doesn't feel good. Yeah. You know, when you feel embarrassed, you know, when you're sad, we have that, but it does feel more real when people affirm it. We see other people going through it. I would say I was always intuitive in that way, even if I didn't know what to do with it. I was like, this doesn't feel right, or this is right. I remember telling on a teacher once because she paddled a boy on his hand, told my said, that law has been outlawed. She cannot hit kids in class anymore. I just knew it. Yeah. Like, I just knew, like, you're not supposed to talk to me like that. You can't do anything about it. <laughs> but Totally. I know you're not supposed to. Yeah. I remember one time I was being gaslit by one of my parents. I didn't know the language then. I didn't really know what was going on. And I just was like this. I literally was like walking up the stairs of my house after just being completely gaslit. And I was like, this isn't. Right. Mm -hmm. I was like, mm -hmm. something about this is not normal. Like what's happening is not normal. And especially from a parent. And I just was like, damn, has this been like my life where my reality has been shifted 
or shaped by someone that's like doing this. And I do think we have that intuition and I'm so grateful that I had that moment, but just it made me really sad to think about all the other moments before where you're just like, I'm crazy. I don't know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, I'm not feeling that way or all of the things that lead up to it. For you and some of the things you experienced, I think one of the follow-up questions that a lot of people have is, do you speak to the person, the perpetrator, I guess, or the person that harmed you or the person that hurt you as part of your healing? Are they involved with the healing process? If it's a parent, if it's a sibling, if it's an uncle, whatever it is. They can or they can't be. It's a very unique situation depending on what they did. Sometimes we go to the person who caused harm and they just cause more because they're like, I didn't do that. That's not a part of the story. It happened this way or this is why I did it. You were doing this. And, you know, like, will that further the harm for you? I think that's important to think about. Sometimes we are seeking like, oh, this person is going to acknowledge it. They're going to change it. And it's like, they're going to reaffirm what they've already done. I think I've done it always. On to the person and um, said, hey, you did this thing. And then they threw it back on me and said, no, you were wrong. There were five people there watching. (laughs) All of them said I was right. (laughs) Like, let me grab them. They're here. Grab them. Yeah. Literally. Literally. One, two, three, go. And then you're just spinning and wasting so much energy. You're wasting so much Proving You're like, no. And this person is like, no, that didn't happen. This is why it happened. And you're like, Uh, yeah, what would you do after that? Do you just kind of back up? Are you like, okay? Well, you know, I I think in that situation, it was a lesson for me. Like, this person can hear anything negative themselves. Yes. And I know multiple people like that. If you said, hey, you didn't just close that door. It wasn't, it's okay, you can't hear yourself. So there are some of us, we just can't tolerate hearing anything negative about ourselves. We can tolerate how we treat other people because we have a view of ourselves and we're able to justify all of our behaviors, even if those behaviors are harmful to other people, if they're neglectful, if they're abusive. So I no longer seek validation from the people who harm it's not a part of my process now i understand some people may want to confront that with other people but for the people who have harmed me i've tried and i know that instead of them owning it they have said no this is why i did it (laughs) this is why i did it is so wild it's also weird that this is just how the brain works, that you would think that the person that harmed you would be the last person you'd want validation from on paper. You'd be like, this person was incredibly abusive or neglectful or emotionally manipulative. And in the mind on paper, you're like, I would never care what that person would think Mm -hmm. about me because I don't really value them or how they show up in the world or I don't value how they treat people. But it's like that little girl in us or that little boy or that little person that's like trying to get the validation, would you say, or trying to get closure? Yeah, the last family relationship that I distanced myself from was thinking, this person doesn't hear me. Let me think of a new way to say the boundary. So I have 5,000 ways to say I text the boundary, I wrote the boundary, I said the boundary, I told everybody the boundary, I went to the mountain, screamed the boundary. The boundary was all over the place. 
And it wasn't until I was talking to this person where they, you want this and I don't think it's right. I said, they have heard my boundary and they just told me they didn't care. I said, how bold. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that to me was the ending of our connection. So you no longer communicate. We no longer communicate. Mm -hmm. And then they came back to me and they said, well, here are all the things I did, but this is why I did them. And I said, you know, for years I've been stating it. Here it is. I'm thinking like, maybe they're not hearing me. I would change the topic. I would do all the boundary thing. But I had to realize that the consequence I needed was distance. The consequence wasn't changing the topic. Now, there are other relationships that I have where the boundary is restating, maybe giving some distance for a day or two or those sorts of things. But we have to determine based on the relationship, what roles will be with that other person. A lot of people look at drama free and they think like cut people off. And I'm like, no, we have to figure out how to be in relationships sometimes. Every relationship, because some may be harmful, but there is a way to be in relationships with people who won't change. But it also depends on what sort of offenses have occurred. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you said that because I have noticed a trend And I don't know if it's because it's like in social media where it's black and white thinking or like this or that thinking, but it does feel like people get really excited about the cut people off mode, you know, where it's like, be done. Some people you can't. And I'm always interested in the nuance of things. And I noticed that even about boundaries, boundaries changed my life completely, have Mm -hmm. helped me to be who I am and live a life that I love. But I also noticed in situations where I was like, is this a boundary? Am I putting up a wall with people? And the wall feels much more, it feels like it lacks conversation and it lacks like the true energetic confidence that a boundary has. So can we talk a little bit about that? Not cutting people off, being in relationship with them, and then also boundaries and walls. Mm. I think about situations and family where if you tell one person something, everyone knows we can protect ourselves by not sharing. That seems hard because we want to believe I should be able to tell grandmother whatever. I should be able to tell my brother whatever. I should be able to tell mother anything. But this person is demonstrating, when you tell me things, I cannot keep them. And so I have someone like that in my family, a cousin. She gets, is shocking to her. Kim, she told, and I'm like, why did you tell her? <laughs> so I'm just... You're that's like the track, most track record. <laughs> I'm like, that's the most puzzling. <laughs> I know. It's that she told. Because mm-hmm. she told me as soon don't say I say don't say I said nothing, but mm-hmm. <laughs> as soon as you told her, I'm shocked that you're still expecting confidentiality. I'm shocked that that is your expectation, but the expectation is ascribed to a role. Mm. It's not ascribed to how the person is. It's ascribed to this is my mother. It's ascribed to this person should be trustworthy because they have this role. And when in actuality, this person is not trustworthy because they tell everything you tell them. (laughs) I think that's huge, actually, because that was a realization I had, too, where I should. I should be able. I remember feeling that with my mom where I was like, I should be able to tell her everything. I should be able to go shopping with her and have this relationship that was more like a media portrayal of what a mom is or more like this idea that I had what a mom is. Mm -hmm. And then I would do things that I thought the role should fulfill, like 
whatever they would be. And then I'd be so surprised. I'm like, how come? Shouldn't a mom? I even had that where my mom can't really keep her mouth shut. And I told her Do something. Do we have the same mouth? I no. know, honestly, it's wild. <laughs> I told her something and actually we went like a few weeks without it leaking. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. Like things have changed. And then, you know, got told as it does. And I just was like, oh, that's so interesting. It just didn't change. And my sister was so angry. She's an oldest. So she get, cares a lot. She's like, I can't believe she told. I'm like, yeah, it's just, it is what it is. It is what it is. It is who it is. It is. It is who it is. And we have to acknowledge that we have friends like that sometimes where it's like, you would not tell this friend. We have people in our lives who, whatever it is, they will share things. They will do certain things. How do we work with those people instead of saying, you know what, I don't need to be in this relationship. Sometimes it's learning to protect yourself and saying certain things or to protect yourself by showing certain spaces in your life. And we can, you know, should should be able to do this but sometimes that's just not possible with certain people all mothers aren't nurturing all aren't like nice and caring all grandparents don't want to babysit all you know like there is no one thing for any role in a family but our depiction is that because of this title this person should do these things and that's the part that we have to work on with the person in our life because they're not a role they're a whole person with a story who they have things going on. And those are the things we need to consider our expectations of who they should be. Yeah, that's huge. And that's powerful. That's helping me now in this moment. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Uh, therapy, y'all. I don't know. I just, I don't know what I did before therapy, to be completely honest with you. I think I was kind of a mess, but you know, found it when I was meant to, but I have been going to therapy for about six years now, which is so crazy. So crazy, but it has changed my life and I will continue to invest in therapy for as long as I can. I feel like it has totally, totally made my relationships better, made my career better. I am a better mom. I am a better wife. I'm a better friend. I'm a better daughter and sister. Y'all, it's just the gift that keeps on giving. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do, this is it. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. If you get matched and you're like, yeah, not quite a fit, they make it easy and it's free to change. But I've had a lot of friends try BetterHelp and love it. So I really, really encourage you to start therapy. It's been the best decision I've ever made for myself. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash almost 30 today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash almost 30. So when we're talking about the boundaries and the walls, if someone's in relationship with someone, how do they know it's a wall, which is kind of a reaction mm -hmm. to something where it's still got some anger? And how do we know it's like an embodied, confident boundary? I would say a confident boundary would be healthy, not necessarily territory, but protective. Healthy boundary would be clear. It would be seasoned with history. <laughs> so it's not like you're just making this up. 
It is unique and based on the person. When we have a general boundary for all things, I would wonder if it's a wall. When we get into that absolute thinking about things, I would wonder if it is us trying to be overly protective of ourselves. When we get to the space of loneliness, we have to consider what are walls of protection. So there are certainly indicators that we're building healthy boundaries, because if we were building healthy boundaries, we would still be able to be in relationship. And maybe not in this relationship, but in relationships, period. But with walls, you will notice that you're having these common dysfunction in all of your relationships because you have these very tall boundaries. Yeah, that's huge. I'm going to ask something that's very personal to me, but I think people might relate regarding parents and relationships with parents. And this kind of has to do with boundaries and walls. I sometimes wonder in the relationship with my family if I'm healed because I'm non-reactive and I don't feel triggered very often or if I'm disassociating and I'm just a body that's present around them or kind of just being with them. How can people tell if they've healed where they're non-reactive and they can be in relationship with someone and they don't find themselves triggered? And how can we tell if they're just disassociating kind of going with the flow, being super passive? I would say healed. You still notice how you feel, but you're not reactive, right? Disassociation would be you're not even present and like you don't even care about what's happening. It's like I struggle because I, from a young age, started, I don't know if it was a wall or boundary, but over time, I'm like, am I being myself here? Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm myself, but I also feel very comfortable, which was something that I realized, too, when I was with my family. I'm like, oh, I'm actually very comfortable not engaging, not speaking, not being heard. But it doesn't feel good anymore. Like, it no longer feels good, but it feels comfortable, if that makes sense. And I was thinking about how in childhood we create these situations at home. It might not be healthy but it feels comfortable. So do you see sometimes where people will be in relationship dynamics where it's not necessarily healthy, but it feels comfortable for them? Absolutely. Isn't that why we stay in unhealthy family relationships? I hear people going through chaos with their families, but the discomfort of leaving or changing relationship or speaking up or demanding anything differently certainly causes a level of discomfort that they're ready to deal with. So they'll continue to do the thing that they've always sort of done. In family dynamics, if someone was to try and speak with the family about something that happened, try and have a conversation, how could they create the best environment or situation or opportunity for that? Because I'm sure it's not like after their sports team loses the big game, right before bed, after drinks, you know, what would be the most opportune environment and situation to speak to your family? When you feel the desire to speak. I know that's not what we're looking for, but we are always seeking like, what's the best time to talk? Is it before bed? Is it after your second meal of the day? Is it when your feet are warm? (laughs) It's like you're trying to control too many factors. Mm -hmm. When you feel the need to say it, call the person. (laughs) You know, if you need to call them on the phone and say it, if you need to say it in person, if you're in the middle of a workout and it pops into your head, I want you to say it. Because the appropriate environment, the temperature may not be right. It might not be midweek. All of these things may not align. And I don't want you to sit with that on your spirit because you're trying to wait for the world to get perfect to have this conversation. So I think the best time to have the conversation is when you're thinking of having it. Certainly not in front of a room full of people. Certainly if someone's just 
had some life tragedy, not at that very moment. There are certainly bad times to have a conversation, but times it's when you are ready to talk about it and you're ready because you are thinking about it. You don't have to have the perfect speech. I know some of us, yeah. we feel like it's a wedding proposal. Let mm-hmm. me go over it. Do I have everything? 100%. Okay, so on June 22nd, <laughs> that's when I'm going to start. June 22nd, <laughs> we go through this whole thing. And it doesn't come out that way. I found that all of the stuff that I rehearse and practice, it doesn't come out that way. So it's okay to be a little rough around the edges, to jump over your words a little bit, to stutter, to be nervous, just say it because you're really thinking. Now, I mentioned earlier that I won't go to people who have harmed me for validation, but I will tell you how I feel. I'm not looking for the validation. I just want you to, and I'll say that. I don't even want you to respond because I don't want it to be a situation where you're confused. You don't know why this person won't invite me. You know exactly. Because I told you. Do you want me to pull up the text? I have it. Everybody, we see this. (laughs) Does everyone see this? Do we need to get on a five-way call again? So sometimes we have to check what we're expecting from this other person. A person who has a low level of self-awareness may not give you what you need in terms of, oh, I did that to you. This isn't acting. They're going to be like, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. What are you talking about? So when people haven't done their work, they're not going to do your work for you. They can only respond based on their level of emotional maturity, of self-awareness, of understanding of their own trauma. That's how they're responding. So even when people have the response of maybe gaslighting or shutting you down or giving you the silent treatment, that's all that that person can I remember the first time someone gave me the silent treatment. It was for an entire year, a relative. Wow. (laughs) I didn't expect that. It was for, they did something very embarrassing and they refused to accept responsibility for it. So they called me the next day like, hey, and I was like, hey, you did this thing. And they were like, I didn't do that. It was your fault. You invited me to the thing. But I'm like, you got really drunk. You did this mm-hmm. thing and you know, like I'm trying to tell you what happened here. And I didn't hear from them. When I heard from them again, they said, remember you were trying to say that I I still stand. I'm not going to take blame for it. They don't bring it up anymore. This was of like course. many moons ago. They don't bring it up anymore because I'm not going to agree with it. There was a time in my life, particularly when I was a kid, when people would do things and I would be like, okay, yeah, no, don't remember that anymore. But now I'm like, I'm such an adult. I remember it just like this. I'm not going to change my memory of what for your nation because that's dishonoring myself now I have to lie to myself to be able to make you more comfortable with this thing that you did I'm not doing it. yeah and how has that approach changed your relationship with yourself I think it has given me such a level of confidence and self-esteem like the way I talk to myself in the mirror uh I need to record it. It needs to I be would. like an affirmation CD or something. <laughs> Maybe your YouTube short should be those. Even when I mess up, I have just become so kind to myself. So it helps me be more gentle with myself. It helps me be more accountable. Seeing someone unable to be accountable for their actions, I don't want anyone to be on the receiving end like I 
So when someone says, this is what you did, I have two kids, they tell me. <laughs> they're very honest. Yes. They're therapist kids. So they're like, 100%. this made me feel. You're like, oh, my God. <laughs> talked to them too many yeah, you're words. like, again? <laughs> right. I'm nervous about the first day of school. Oh, oh my oh. gosh, my anxiety was bad last night. I'm like, you're sex. <laughs> you're coloring all day. <laughs> it's just like, this is your language. So, yeah, they say stuff to me. I'm married, my husband, my friend. People say stuff to me, and I'm like, hmm, I receive that. That's usually mm. my response. I receive that. I hear that. Mm. I'm going to try to do a better job of it because I'm not doing it intentionally. Totally. I think of myself as a good person. So if I am maybe over-talking or if I am dismissing what you say, I don't mean to. So I don't even take that as an offense to myself. I'm like, I have to pause. Like I take it as an opportunity for growth. Hmm. So when I put you to bed, I should sing the song longer. I cut it off. Got Okay. Yes. Room for growth. You want the song for three hours. Three hours. Perfect. Before bed. Baby Shark. A <laughs> uh, hundred times. Okay. Remix. <laughs> Baby Shark remix. We've got it. <laughs> yeah, that's such a good point because I've noticed that in my intimate relationships with women, like my female friendships, because I love myself more than ever, I'm much more able to be in those situations where you have a feedback scenario. You know, something that's brought up like, hey, this you said this, this bothered me. This happened, this bothered me, whatever. And I remember I before probably couldn't handle it, could not have been like, oh my God, she's judging that whole thing. She's judging me, like whatever. And I really loved how in one of your YouTubes, you said, if you want honesty, you have to be prepared for what honesty in relationships brings. And I do think people say that like, I want honest relationships. I want deep relationships. I want intimate relationships. And then they don't realize that that's crunchy at times. Mm. That that can be when someone's being honest to you, mm -hmm. not just honest about their life. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about how you sort of see that showing up in your life and with your clients? Yeah. So we have to do our work so that we can receive honesty. Many of us can't. And we wonder why people lie. I don't know why they would lie to me. I'm like, I know exactly why. Because I can't even tell you that your shirt is showing. You yes. know, because yes. you just... No, it's, you know, so, you're like, what? yeah, so, you know, people see this about you and then they learn this is a person I can't be honest with. We have to learn how to receive the truth, people. I am at this point proud of how honest my kids are with me, the things that they say, because I know sometimes they withhold from other people. Like, I'll see it, like, I'll be like, say that. And they like, you know, so... <laughs> But with me, they'll say it because I'm like, I want you to be honest. So when my daughter says something, she's like, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I don't like this. I'm like, don't worry about hurting my feelings. I want you to be able to be honest, even if that's saying you prefer Kraft mac and cheese over my home cooked. <laughs> that's actually delicious. Really? You know, like I need to withstand that. And so guess what I follow up with? Let me make you cry. I'm not going to make you feel bad for saying it shame you for saying it confident in my macaroni recipe mm -hmm. it is requested at barbecue yeah you've got your own preference you're fine you don't have this <laughs> like crafted palette of macaronis <laughs> i love we're just gonna go on she's like she just doesn't know <laughs> yeah. she doesn't know taste <laughs> I don't like macaroni and cheese. I think it's so overrated. I can eat it now, but I can look at it and tell you I'm macaroni and cheese. Yeah, so it's like powder. We have to 
differences. Yep. But when I was a kid, if I would have said that to an adult, oh my God, you better eat this. My stuff is good. I am, you, you, don't, you better oh, be grateful. You better be grateful. All of this stuff. It's okay. It's a noodle. But it's something about the cheese with water in it that just makes it better. Yes. So it's like you creating that environment in your yeah. family where your relationships and people can be honest with you. Because you're not going to shame them, gaslight them, judge them for the honesty. I guess I want to talk about when it gets a little bit more high stakes mm -hmm. with people when you have something that's like you want to bring to someone or maybe someone brings something to you about the way that you're operating or the way that you're being that's bothering them. Let's start with how can you approach someone where it's a friend or maybe a family member where you want to talk about something that they're doing or something that they've said that's hurt you or bothers you? I believe that when we want to bring those conversations up in relationships, we want to stay in the relationship and improve them. So just internally, we need to really process this. This is not a way for me to end the relationship. I am trying to improve the relationship. So this conversation is almost like a general. So when people do things and I bring it to them, I'm bringing it to them because I care. I'm taking it to them because I love them and I want to be in this space with them. When we don't want to be in that space, that's when we're like, there's no conversation needed. So if we're having these difficult conversations, it is a sign of wanting to be in the relationship. Starting that conversation of, you know, the other day when you came over, you made a few comments about, weight and then some of the things that I had in the refrigerator you were saying all of these things when you visit understand that maybe we don't eat the same things or you know maybe you notice some changes in my weight but please don't talk about it so it's like recognition or it's like the noticing I think notice is a good word and it's, it's so fun to talk to therapists because it's always like I wonder about I'm curious about I noticed so I'm noticing something I'm acknowledging where they may be coming from and then I'm making the request. So acknowledge, notice, and then make a request. And I think it's all about the energy too. Mm -hmm. It's all about that conversational being grounded in your body and energy of like, hey, you know, I noticed this thing. I would love if you didn't talk about that. I can understand. Instead of being like, hey, how people will receive you all depends on I feel like your energy. Yeah. My mother is a very accepting person when you bring something to her. My father wow. is the opposite. My father is like, nope, didn't happen. I went to Gaslight University. I have a degree. Alma mater, baby. Alma mater, baby. Gaslight. GU. He's like, didn't happen. Don't know what you're talking about. My mother, she tends to be like, oh, oh, okay. She's, She's probably been gaslit so much that she just accepts what everyone, anyone says. Ah, ooh. Maybe. I take, maybe. I take therapy. Yeah. Every once in a while, like if it's something, she'll stay with well, her intention. Well, I wasn't trying to, you know, but for the most part, she'll hear you out. But mm -hmm. I grew up in that opposite of like, that didn't happen. That wasn't that. And oh, okay. But I think within that, you still have this assortment of characters who varying levels of responding. And we have to figure out like based on that person, I know if I bring something maybe to one person, this person is going to. I know if I take it to this other person, this person can receive it. I know if I take it to this one person, they're not going to call me for two days. <laughs> we have to know our people and know that 
that is who they are, it doesn't mean that I need to be silent. It doesn't mean that I need to pretend to not have an issue with this thing. As we're experiencing things with people, that is the best time to bring it up. Now, there are times, particularly with parents or siblings, where we may go back and hey, and we might be 35 or something, and you go back and say, hey, when I was a child, and in the book, I give very clear instructions to parents. How do you receive that information? Know that you're not a bad person. As decent as, I'm going to say decent, I didn't want to say good, as decent as I think I am as a parent, my kid is definitely some issue hopefully their issue will be gosh you didn't let me get a phone when I was eight Mm -hmm. I don't know but they're gonna have some issue how do we receive that information because intentions can be pure and it still can be a problem for you so when someone comes to you and they say that let's just let them have their experience it doesn't matter if oh but I was a single parent that's why I was it's like that didn't matter to me when I was eight that's great information, mom. Thanks. I kind of noticed that actually. <laughs> Is that what it was? Is that what it was? But expectation was this and you didn't meet. We have to sit with that, that we will not be seen as perfect no matter how good. There will be something, whether it's your sibling and you say, when we were kids, you bullied me a lot. Or when we were kids, I really felt the way when so-and-so would come over and you click up with them and leave me or whatever those things are. We go back in time and we bring those things up. And when we go back in time, it's important that we talk about whether this is a conversation to just clear the air and minimize any resentment or if there is something that this person can do for you. Because sometimes people didn't do it then and they're still not. And we need to have that conversation with them and maybe notice that I've noticed that you used to click up with your friends then and you still do it feel like I'm a part of your circle and your sibling or whatever that is you know having that conversation about maybe why you're as close to them as they would like to be those conversations can be really helpful it's important for parents to remember that and I think some parents think this when their child turns 18, they will only remember the good. They will only remember the good things. So when they're 40 and you're talking to them like every other week or when they go off to college and they start like coming home during visits and that sort of thing, it's like, oh my gosh, what ruined our relationship? You're always creating that relationship, always creating it. You're creating it when they're one, when they're 20. You have to constantly work at that. It's not like I put in all these years And this person should, for the rest of their life, be close to me. You have to call them. How were classes today? What did y'all do today? You have to be in relationship with people. You being a parent or a sibling, that does not give you a space in their life if you're not creating. It's huge. It's like the roles, like you mentioned before. Mm -hmm. So it's like when we're looking at a mother and we have expectations on the mother for a certain thing or the father, and then... It's kind of role reversal where it's the mother or the father has expectations of the child just because they're the child and not looking at them as the human of like, oh, actually, we didn't have a relationship. We didn't really get along. We didn't really spend a lot of time together. I feel like for a lot of the generation, maybe my parents' generation and a little older, it was almost like the kids, it was just like keeping them alive was the goal. Mm -hmm. It was like feed them, clothe them, let them do their thing. Like there was no tending to them. And I feel like I noticed that in the way that they parent or operate. 
when we're trying to be in conversation or relationship with people that don't have a lot of emotional maturity, they don't have really have the capacity a lot of times to hold or understand or be, how would you suggest we approach people with little emotional maturity? We have to meet them where they are emotionally and understanding that that is where they'll respond. Talk to tons of adults who may have an expectation for their parents. And when I say to them, how old does your mother seem emotional? I know she's 60, but the way she responds to what you say, what you do, the way that she carries on with her gossip and all of this stuff, how does she? She's 15. Okay, there we go. So your 65-year-old mother has the emotional capacity of a 15-year-old. And your expectation of her when this happens or when you place this boundary or when you you know, get into a new really your expectation of her is 65, but she's 15. She doesn't have a 65-year-old healing space. She doesn't have a 65-year-old's emotional capacity or mental wherewithal. So those things matter. And when I say that age, I'm talking about how does a person at that age respond? Because there are tons of adults who have tantrums who cuss people out, who flip things over. They will tell everybody what you did wrong and remember their portion in it. What age did we do that? Sometimes when I get into rifts with people, I'll say, I never did this at any age, but I guess if I had to watch TV, I meant, I think they did this on Save by the Bell. Mm-hmm. What were they in 10th? <laughs> <laughs> I've never responded like this ever. Yeah, you're like me. I was born like 62 emotionally. (laughs) Well, that's when they say with kids, they're like, they're an old soul. Do you remember that? I used to think that was so cool. I was like, I'm an old soul. I'm an old soul. And I'm like, no, dude. Well, I meant to an extent. I still did things that were age appropriate. I had lunch fights or (laughs) pranked my friends or whatever you do at that age. Do think when I was in high school, I started reading self-help. Wow. Which one was your first? I read a lot of books by Ayanna Van Zandt, and she was a constant guest on Oprah at the time. So I bought her books. I would read her books. She had like journals about like confidence and self-esteem. I still have some of them. It's so cute to read. Oh, you wrote in them? Oh my gosh. What what are you saying? Are you like, I like my... It was like, I love my hair because it grows out of my skin. (laughs) <laughs> it was so deep oh I love that <laughs> I love my nose whatever but I, it was one of the first steps of like owning my stuff owning my own part of it. like I get it you're supposed to get all of this esteem from your parents and family and friends but I'm like I have to give myself some of that so even if people say it to me I'm not questioning because it's nothing worse to be beautiful and feel beautiful mm. right it's like but you're so right. Yeah, 100%. I can't believe you don't see it, what we see. <laughs> yeah, it's like, your dimples are so cute. No, they're not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we suck. <laughs> so I, I noticed, like, to be able to take that. When someone says your hair look nice, I just say, okay. You know, like, I want to be in the space of feeling good about myself. So I'm not shocked when other people say these kind of things about me. I'm like, you see a girl. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you see it as yeah. I do. Yeah. I do. Yes. I know. <laughs> I know. I know that very well. I know it so well. <laughs> There's a, a lot of work to be done about that because I remember that court phase of being a teenager mm-hmm. and just feeling like I had back surgery when I was in eighth grade. Wow. 
I had scoliosis, and so I had a spinal fusion. And I have a scar on my back. I, at the time, I was like, I will never again not wear a turtleneck. And it lasted, I don't know, I had surgery maybe December. By summer, I saw a heart attack. I'm like, I'm going to wear it, but I'm going to try to get long braids. Oh, cover it up. And then you're like, <laughs> no one can see this scar. You know, people started to see the scar. People might say, now the scar is much lighter. It's not that big of a deal. But I was so self-conscious about, oh my gosh, people are going to see this scar today. Mm-hmm. So I had to do a lot of acceptance around, you cannot wear a turtleneck every day, girl. You will have to show this back. There will be another summer. Mm-hmm. You know, there will be another cute shirt. What about at a different store? So it was me. It wasn't necessarily the scar. So it's whether the, the cut is on your face, whether the cut is dysfunctional family, whether the cut is, you know, on your back. We have to figure out a way to live with our stuff because the covering of it, it's something that people can hold against us. We don't even believe that we deserve things when we get there or that the things are true because we're like, oh, but did you see this other thing? And we have to do the work to get out of that space. There's so many of us who struggle with being able to accept the comp, being able to believe that we are capable of certain things, being able to believe that when we get a promotion, we actually deserve the promotion. What do you think that is? I'm thinking there's might be a lot of scenarios where it's like you have fear of the person asking or saying the compliment of what's going to happen if you receive it. Mm-hmm. There could be your actual belief of it's not true. There could be fear of it going away once you receive it or once it's acknowledged it might go away or something. What do you think? I think it's so many things. I think we are constantly taught to be humble, to not be excited about stuff, to work really hard. And even when you get to the space you're in, to keep working hard so you'll keep it and go higher, higher, It's a lot of pressure. I saw something today where a woman was saying, don't get caught up in the what's next. She said, don't get caught up in what's next because people will what's next you to death. Yes. And it's like, I'm just savoring. I'm just having a really good time. This book, and this could be the only one. This could be the only two. It could be, this can be the only kid. This can be the only boyfriend. It could be no boyfriend. It could be a girlfriend. It could be. It could just be this thing. It doesn't have to be a four-bedroom apartment because I only have one. <laughs> it was like, when are you moving to a bigger place? Yes. It's like, like as soon I as you get one. back from the hospital, they're like, so what about baby two? Yeah, <laughs> it's like this continuous cycle. And so when we get somewhere, we question it. We're like, oh my gosh, should I be in this thing? Is this enough? Do I deserve this? Shouldn't I want more? All of these questions. And I am starting to get to a space of, questioning the question, right? So why do I even want this? Is it important to me? How do I focus on wanting what I actually want and being persuaded? Because people will tell you all the time, you should do a TV show. You should. I'm like, a TV show? Cooking? (laughs) You guys tried my mac and cheese? (laughs) Try my mac and cheese. I'll mix some craft powder in. (laughs) It's wild in our space how much people push you in directions yeah. of what they think you should be or what they think you should do. And it's, I'll get caught up for sure. Mm. Sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, I should blah, blah, blah. I'm like, whoa, don't want that. Yeah. I should 
do what I want to do. And what I want to do sometimes is nothing. I'm in LA. You know what my biggest joy has been? Watching The Walking Dead in a hotel bed, sipping some tea, just watching these beasts. I'm like, they have museums here. They have shopping here. Yesterday, I was like, you know what? I'm going to get out this bed and go do something. I went shopping, and immediately, I was like, why? Let me <laughs> mm-hmm. let me get my Uber. I was right. The bed's best. The bed is best. <laughs> the bed is best. <laughs> I think there is this constant, you know, if it's not us, it's like, what are you doing when you're there? That's why I think I was thinking, oh, I should do something. But my spirit is saying that. That was something you had an Instagram post about. It's sort of related, but in the healing space, it's like, how is healing now being something that's like to-do list, like where you're healing all the time, you're just always in the healing process, and how can we bring in more play mm-hmm. and joy and truth? Mm-hmm. Can you speak more about that? Yeah, we can be so serious and deep that we forget to be in the moment, to create some joy outside of all of the healing we're doing. It's wonderful to read you know, a deep, heavy book. But but while you're reading that, you might want to read a romance novel. Get yourself mm-hmm. a little pleasure. <laughs> I, I wonder, do we notice when we need a break? How do we notice when we need a break? Are your conversations consumed by the work? Because the work is one part of you, but there are so many other things that are also parts of you. One thing I really love about being a therapist, and my clients aren't shy, but have a sense of humor. And so whatever we're talking about, a little joke is thrown. They say something. But I have one client that we just have a little rift going. She's talking about stuff in her life, but, you know, there are funny points to be made. A (laughs) hundred percent. That's my favorite part of my therapist is we laugh our asses off. It's so key. I made my therapist cry laughing and I felt like I won a golden glove. You're like, so I'm officially your favorite. <laughs> is it official? <laughs> yes. I felt like I was just like, oh, this is it. 100%. This is like, yes. So, you know, I, I think it's not every week. It's not every session. But certainly there's time for us to talk about other things. And that's okay for us to be different parts of ourselves while we're here. It's not 100% healing. Maybe it's eight. Maybe it's in this particular relationship with this person, but we can do other things and we can also take a break when we need to and return to it. Or we could say, I've done enough. So it's not this constant wheel of, I got to do this. Yeah, because the energy behind that is there's something wrong with me. I'm broken. I'm someone that needs to be fixed. And when we bring the play in, it's like, I still deserve pleasure and joy, even though I'm healing. Mm -hmm. And having that balance is so important. And I've noticed that a lot. It's really beautiful how so many more people are interested in healing work and conversations around trauma. But sometimes I'm just like, okay, we also have to be living humans in this present experience instead of going back, back and back in life. I love talking to you. I'm so glad you came. We have so much fun. I'd love to just say, what is the one thing that you'd love for people to get from Drama Free? Like, what would be your your dream where you're like, they just read Drama Free and now what's happening? Connection. Sometimes we don't know there is a problem because we don't language. We don't know other people who are going through anything of that magnitude. We're unaware of how it affects us. So as people read this book, I hope that they can see scenarios and the variety of terminology 
technology, they start to understand because that awakening, it can just, it's like when you learn a new word for something you've always been it's like, that's what the word is. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so happy I can use prosecute now. finally the light bulb moment like even gaslighting again is just the example that comes where there was the word to understand what i was going through there was a restructuring of things in my brain in this crazy way yeah and i think that's why gaslighting now is like gosh this word is everywhere but it's a word we really need it to put into context what people are doing when they refuse to claim their responsibility and when they're trying to make us believe that something else is going on in the situation. Like we needed that word to really unlock in us, oh, this is my experience. So hopefully there are tons of words in here that unlock. There are tons of scenarios. There is a way forward in how you can manage unhealthy relationships. And there is also some comfort in knowing that you don't have to. There are so many different ways. Sometimes people will see my work and they're like, I got an email this morning. This lady said, your work is mean. You advocate for cutoffs. I said, oh, this lady knows nothing about (laughs) this whole book. I think there's a chapter about what to do when people won't change. But most of the book is really about to be in relationships with difficult families. How to be in relationships with people who won't change. Because guess what? Most of us don't want to leave family relationships. That's what I've learned as a therapist. I've talked to people for 15 years and every single session they will come in there and talk about that same family member and they are not going to change. The only time I feel like, oh, is when I see them suffering so much. It's hard to watch people change. But even still, I know I can't do anything because you're not at the end of the road. You're still looking for solutions. So to keep giving you some week after week okay so we tried that let's this week we're going to read chapter one (laughs) okay let's go back to chapter one again you're such a clear writer it's so helpful and amazing the examples were so great i think people are really going to love it and just being connected to you the work that you do is just i've had so many revelations just in our two conversations and following your work so i'm really grateful i'm excited for people to see it so yay We'll see you guys later. Love you. Bye. Thank you so much, Nedra. Again, the book is drama free and you can listen to our first episode with her if you want more and you're feeling in the groove by searching Nedra Almost 30. If you want to learn more about what we're doing over here at Almost 30, be sure to go to almost30.com. You can find our membership programs as well as partnership information, all the brands that we vet for you and love. You can find their discount code there as well. We will see you on the next one. We love you guys. Bye.